If you're set in ways that have propelled you and lifted you and empowered you to serve others, to be here today, stay set in those ways. But what I'd like you to look at, what we're going to look at in our time together, are the ways that we can set that limit us. What lies beneath in that subconscious, so much of our daily action is born out of those thoughts that we're not even conscious of. The lies that lie beneath. Podcasting from Wealth Wave Studios in Johns Creek, Georgia, this is Leadership Now, the official vision and strategy podcast of Wealthwave. Did you recognize that music? I'm sorry I'm not Elvis Presley. I sure wish he was on stage for you right now. I'm a huge fan. That was his opening music. It's a privilege to be in this hotel with him, and more so, it's a privilege to be with you. I got to listen to Chris behind the curtain back here. He's getting me so fired up. My mother said, there's a lot of new information, but there's no new truth. And so much of what Chris shared with you is true, and you're going to hear those redundancies in our time together. But first off, are you enjoying your conference? (laughs) I tell you, this is the way to do it. I mean, the music that you've been playing, it is a real privilege to be here with you. So what do you say we have the absolute best year of our lives? And to accomplish this, let's consider why we wouldn't. The art of why, I don't know if I get my slides up here. The art of why addresses the most significant, I guess I'm in charge of that. Here we go. All right, good. The art of why addresses the most significant why question we human beings can ask. Simply, why me? The professional version of that question is, why do my clients need me? That may be the most important question you can ask as a financial professional. Why do my clients need me? From my perspective, why do your clients need you? Uniquely you, specifically you. Personal question, why me? professional question, why do my clients need me? And the answer to both questions are closely related. We get our mindset. You heard it from Chris. The mind can get set. You've heard of mindset, creatures of habit. Research shows that we have 55,000 thoughts a day and 95% of them are a repeat from yesterday. Our minds get set, but here's what I want to share with you. Habit is powerful, provided that the habits are powerful habits. So when I speak to mindset and this invitation to reset mindset, I'm not talking about that area of your life where you're jumping in that cold pool first thing in the morning. Those disciplines, if somebody accuses you of being set in your ways, yet those ways provide for the very person who says that, If you're set in ways that have propelled you and lifted you and empowered you to serve others, to be here today, stay set in those ways. But what I'd like you to look at, what we're going to look at in our time together, are the ways that we can set that limit us. What lies beneath in that subconscious, so much of our daily action is born out of those thoughts that we're not even conscious of. The lies that lie beneath. If you are not waking up enthusiastic about a new day, if the majority of your experience in life is not filled with joy, if you don't absolutely love what you do, then you can bet your mind needs a reset. 55,000 thoughts a day and 95% or repeat from yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, that defines a rut. I recently heard a rut described as an endless grave. Now, that's a deep rut, right? But we've all been there, have we not? If you're a human being and you've made it this far, you have been in ruts. You have suffered. 
We have all been in those ruts so deep that we lose vision. We can't see beyond the walls around us. We feel alone. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to invite you to a place of reset to see that being that rut may have actually been for you. That it didn't happen to you, but that maybe it happened for you. Because that experience is uniquely human. And only through that experience can we truly connect with others and empathize with others. Now, my favorite quote is from Socrates. The unexamined life is not worth living. Ouch. And it actually ties to, what, 95% of our thoughts are a repeat from yesterday? It reminds me of a quote from William Wordsworth. Wordsworth said, Habits rule the unreflecting herd. How did he describe the herd? As unreflecting. 95% of our thoughts are repeat from yesterday. The question begins, do we rule our lives or do our habits rule our lives? The unexamined life is not worth living. What Socrates also said, essentially, was that the examined life, that the examined life is worth living. And nothing in my experience has been more effective at examining your life than asking why questions. So let's leverage why questions right now to, to look at a very famous statement from a very famous actor. A number of years ago, there was a movie that came out titled A Few Good Men. Some of you know where I'm going with this. There's a scene in this movie where Jack Nicholson is being interrogated by a young Tom Cruise. Now, you love to let raise the roof. I mean, I'm telling you, I love the enthusiasm in this room. So I'll start the quote. You finish it, all right? Jack Nicholson said to Tom Cruise, he says, you want the truth? You can't the truth. Oh, my gosh. I've waited my lifetime to hear that. That is awesome. Why? Why can't we handle the truth? Because the truth can end your life as you know it. And I say good. If your mind is afraid of the truth, you've identified some limits in your life. It is the lies that limit. And what have we learned in the ancient text? The truth will what? So therefore, the lies keep you where? In bondage, in prison. Six years ago, I was on a family vacation out west. I'm excited to share this with you because my six-year-old son shared some wisdom with me on this vacation that I'm excited to share with you. And I'm hoping that it will serve you throughout this new year. Six years ago, we were out west in California on an RV trip. Yes, I... I have a lot of RV stories. And we had stopped by Yosemite. And if you have not been to Yosemite, I'd put it on your bucket list. Magnificent, beautiful. My oldest son, Gavin, is 17 now. He was 11 years old at the time. My daughter, Gabrielle, she's 15. She was uh, nine at the time. And Grayson, my, he'll be 13 in June. He was six years old. And we had been hiking about Yosemite, and we'd stopped for lunch, and uh, we were sort of that central courtyard area, and my wife, Rebecca, and the two oldest kids were in line getting some food, and I was sitting outside on the lawn with my six-year-old. Now, if it's, it probably wouldn't come to you as a surprise, I'm a bit of a philosopher, and I, I saw an opportunity to provide some fatherly wisdom to my six-year-old. And I noticed these magnificent trees were swaying back and forth. And so I said, well, I'm going to share with him a metaphor. Now, it didn't occur to me at the time. He's six. But here's what I said to him, and here's what I share with you. I said, Grayson, the wind strengthens the tree. (laughs) 
<laughs> I look over at Grayson, feeling pretty good about myself. His eyes get real big. And he says, yeah, Dad. And without using your hands, it'll hold a napkin on your face. <laughs> That's what children are for, to humble their parents. I laughed out loud, of course. Here's the thing that's fascinating. It took me six years to hear his metaphor. Three months ago, I was preparing for a speech in Indianapolis, and it just hit me. And I actually brought tears to my eyes. All of you have experienced storms in your life. We all have. It's what it means to be human. And throughout your past, you have had extreme wind. And that wind has strengthened your tree. What did Nietzsche say? Nietzsche said if it didn't kill you, it what? Exactly. But you also have storms that have left napkins on your face. And if we can get those napkins removed, you'll be able to see the possibilities. Because nothing limits more than how we think about our past. And if anything in your past you believe should not have happened, you can bet you've got a napkin on your face. Because it did happen. If you have anything in your past you think should not have happened, you likely will believe things will probably happen in the future that also should not happen. And I'm reminded of something one of my favorite teachers taught me years ago, Wayne Dyer. He passed away this past year. He said, don't should on yourself. <laughs> Can we get to a place of recognizing the power of all that we've been given? I heard Chris talk about forgiveness. The question, ladies and gentlemen, as you look into your past, are you still bitter or have you gotten better? That's a popular phrase I'm hearing nowadays, and I love it. Bitter or better is a choice. It's a reset of the mindset from bitterness to better. Bitterness is a poison you drink to hurt someone else? Was it a curse or was it a blessing? Are you a victim or are you a victor? And while throughout this conference you've considered a multitude of ways of You've been challenged, you're working as teams, you're growing those teams. Truly, yes, teamwork makes the dream work. But more than anything out of those teams, I'm inviting you to in this new year is to be real, to be vulnerable, to share your fears, to look into your past and come together. Is life only as we know it? Going back to Jack Nicholson, is life only as we know it? We have all had the experience that if I only knew then, right, what I know now, guess what? You're going to have that experience in 10 years. In 10 years, you're going to look back on this day and say, if I only knew then what I know now. And I, I have an idea about what you're going to think. Why didn't I try harder? Why didn't I invite more into this experience? Why didn't I say yes more than no? You see it a lot on the deathbed. You see it in the very elderly. I wish I had taken more chances. Don't be that person. So let's look at the mind and how it functions, this, this past, present, and future. Your mind, make no mistake about it, your mind is focused primarily on the past and the future. If your mind is too much on the past, you will experience depression. If your mind is too much on the future, you will experience anxiety. And the real pain and suffering is that you're not living your life. You are not present with your life. Your life is here. The past and the future is just imagination. It's a construct. Book recommendation for all of you for this new year. This book is on the New York Times bestseller list for 10 consecutive years. I don't know if any other book achieved, has achieved such a popularity. Month in and month out, top, top bestselling list. And you'll know, a lot of you will know the title. I read it first 20 years ago. 
and started to reread it again this past year with new eyes to see and new ears to hear. The author is M. Scott Peck. The book is titled The Road Less Traveled. Notice it's not titled The Road Most Traveled. First three words of the book, life is difficult. And he goes on to say immediately after that statement that the moment you embrace that truth, life becomes easier. We talk about America being a nation of entitlement. We hear that a lot. And we, we think of the entitlement programs. But ladies and gentlemen, we've come to a place where we believe we're entitled for a smooth life. No wind. Where do we come up with that idea? We can allow, we can allow a flat tire on our BMW to ruin our day? 1.5 billion people on earth cannot get a clean glass of water. When was the last time you were grateful for a clean glass of water? I like what Tony Robbins said. Tony Robbins says our primary problem is we believe we shouldn't have any. <laughs> Slow burn there. The balance of this presentation, three questions, three insights, and three steps. First question. Why is it important to ask why questions? The simple and direct answer is simply this. When you ask why questions, you challenge the status quo. The status quo around you, and maybe more importantly, the status quo within you. Now this begs the question, what is the status quo? Make no mistake, ladies and gentlemen, the status quo is what and how. What to do and how to do it. What to sell and how to sell it. What to get and how to get it. Many of us have forgotten even to ask why we want it. If you want outstanding results from your life, it's going to require outstanding action, right? But what precedes all action, ladies and gentlemen? Thought. Conscious And subconscious thought precedes all action. But here's a tool for you right here. Asking why, the moment you ask why, you are outstanding. If the majority is what and how, the moment you ask why, you stand out from the crowd. And by definition, leaders go first. Begin with why. Any area of your life, that mindset that repeats those ruts in your life, when you slip into that rut, when you become angry, frustrated around particular situations, just step back and say, why? Why am I doing this? And be okay without an immediate answer. It's written in the ancient text, seek and you will find. It just doesn't say how long it'll take for you to find it. Ask and it will be given to you. The most significant why question of my life took 33 years to answer. 33 years. But by asking the question, I prepared the soil for the seeds of insight. My parents divorced when I was 11 years old. Why? I was estranged from my father for 33 years. Why? And it wasn't about the infidelity. That, that That didn't really lead to the abandonment. He made a big mistake. The marriage ended. The real travesty was how my father thought about his mistake. He thought he was a loser. So how did he behave? Most overachievers aren't running to something, ladies and gentlemen. They're running from something. When you're 11 years old, you are your mother. You are your father. If your father, if I believe my father is a loser, how do I feel about myself? Only through why questions over a great deal of time, coaches, mentors, did I come to understand on a deeper level that my father, my father believed a lie that set his limits. But that didn't mean that those possibilities weren't there. On May 4th of 2016, my mother passed away. Absolutely the greatest human gift in my life. 
I was there when she was admitted into outpatient hospice. What's the average stay in hospice, ladies and gentlemen? What is it? Six months, three months, right? Short. The day she was admitted, the nurse told me in the driveway, your mother could die at any moment. What a gift. Why was it a gift? Because I lived like every day was her last. Oh, did I, happen, did I mention that she lived for two years in outpatient hospice? You want to know why? My mom got busy living, not dying. My mother had a very strong belief. She, she lived on one statement here, and I'll give it to all of you for the greatest year of your life. Today I will rejoice. It is not today I might rejoice. Let me check the news. You check the news, you'll never rejoice. Why ask why questions? It's the path to outstanding results. Have the courage to ask. Louis Pasteur said, fortune favors the prepared mind. Nothing will prepare your mind more for fortune than asking why questions, both not just financial per fortune, personal awareness, awakening fortune. So why do I share this message? Because asking why has changed my life. Asking why has reset my mindset time and again in areas that I am so grateful to have reset. With the art of why, this, this practice of asking why questions has given me this life abundant. When was the last time you cried tears of joy? It wouldn't take much for me to do it right now. I want you to live this life abundant. I want for you those napkins removed from your face. Here's a formula. Here's a formula right here for the absolute best year of your life. Now, I write a blog every week. This was, this was just published a few weeks ago as my New Year's blog. If you're interested in the blog, it's yteamweekly.com. W-H-Y-T-E-A-M. The Y Team. Weekly, W-E-E-K-L-Y. If you're interested in reading more detail about this, I'm going to get into it now. Here is a formula for the absolute best year of your life. The man who came up with it is Dr. Albert Ellis. He's believed to be, he is respected as one of the top three psychologists that ever lived, ranked higher than Sigmund Freud, and all Dr. Ellis did was repackage ancient Stoicism. Epictetus, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome, Viktor Frankl, who survived the Holocaust, Admiral Stockdale, who spent years in solitary confinement in the Hanoi Hilton. They were all Stoics. Here's the formula for you all now. A stands for activating event, adversity. Winds are coming. Winds have come your whole life, and you will have more of them in the future, but the reset of the mindset is bring it on. Bring them on, because I'm only going to get better. I'm only going to get stronger. And I've got a team to help me. Pick any activating event. Anytime you go through a tough, and you will go through tough times this year, when you go through them, and maybe, you're, frankly, you're going, many of you are going through a tough time right now. Lean into this. A plus B. Anybody want to hazard a guess? What's the, beliefs, the B stand for? Believe. I kind of had slipped a set, right? <laughs> That's why I'm just helping you out. So B is for believe. Charles Swindoll said that 10% of life is what happens. 90% is what we think about it. You are not a victim anymore. You have the power to think differently. Elevate your thoughts, you will elevate your life. A plus B equals C. Believe me. There are consequences for how you think about what's happened. You have a very important role in this life experience. And this empowerment comes down to this. So many people in our country today, they want to change A. They don't want to change B. That's essentially entitlement. Entitlement is, I don't want to change. I just want my, my spouse to change. 
Let's say we get a new kitchen, we'll get a new house. Hey, let's get a new spouse. It's always cool when it rhymes, right? I believe we marry the person who will grow us the most. And then we have a choice, grow or leave. Now, there are situations, the toxic relationships, where it's probably better to leave, but let's move on. It's a whole other speech. <laughs> Why do people do what they do? Their minds get set. Our mind, it's who we are. We're creatures of habit. And again, it's okay if those habits are powerful and lifting, but let's get at the habits that are limiting. These insights right here can lead to absolute transformation for you and your life experience. Every human being should know these three things, especially every financial professional. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a profession of behavior. This is not an investment profession. It's not about allocations and rebalancing. A robo-advisor could do that, correct? Keep somebody, he said, you are correct. He said it like a robot. I love it. Make note of this. Robo hands are always cold to hold. I wish I came up with that when I get that from a friend. In this profession, there's an old saying, they don't care what you know until they know that you what? Care. When does a robo advisor ever care? Nick Murray said the dominant determinant, the dominant determinant of real life returns is not investment performance, but investor behavior. And when you can come along someone, having experienced your own storms in life, are you not qualified to relate to theirs? And one of the keys I heard that Chris said right before I came up here was when he shifted his mindset from getting to giving, from selling to serving. This year, don't ask how you can sell more. Ask how you can serve more. As you grow your teams, this is about how can I give you an opportunity? How can I give you greater fulfillment in life? You're not trying to get anything from them. You're offering them an experience, meaning, and purpose. In fact, let's look at retirement for just a moment. Let's just look at a reset, a mindset. Do you know what retirement means in the dictionary? It means being put out of service. You want to be in that business? I want to put you out of service. Two 60-year-olds have a joint life expectancy now, 30 years. Some people will be in longer retirement than they did in their working years. You want to talk about a rebirth of this profession? That you're, you're right here on the rebirth of this profession. It is not retire, it's refire. Our entire business has been about retiring from, retiring from the alarm clock, retiring from the commute. What are we retiring to? And who is most qualified to help them with that plan? It's not about retiring on money. It's about retiring on purpose. That's what you can bring. That mindset has so much power to it. Let's look at this insight number one. If I had only five minutes with you, ten minutes with you, I'd go straight to this first insight. This one's so important. How the, this explains so much human behavior. Let's dig on this. Here are the three. You've already seen the, the slide. The brain prefers habit. The brain has an airbag system. I'll get into that in a moment. But let's go to this first one. The brain hates uncertainty. Why? Because uncertainty is directly linked to our core human fear. The core human fear is our physical death. On some level, every one of us is scared to death. Give me any fear, and it, it goes right back to the fear of death. How about failure? Oh, the fear of failure. Well, you fail enough, you get in the wrong lane on the highway, what happens to you? How about public speaking? The fear of public speaking? Well, how can that be related to death? 
because we're herd creatures. Safety in numbers. I'm alone up here. I could die up here. <laughs> I'm making myself nervous thinking about it. The brain hates uncertainty. So what does it want all the time? Certainty. Just recently, billions of dollars flowed into CDs at 50 basis points. Did you notice that? Have you done the rule of 72 on 50 basis points? 144 years to double your money. Why would anybody do that? I've waited a decade for this quote from Virginia Satir. She passed away in 1988, a famous family therapist. Check this quote out. Most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. This explains, again, this explains why a lot of people stay in toxic relationships. I'd rather be with the devil I know than the one I don't. When you have this depth of understanding, you'll have empathy for those people who need you. But there's a distinction here between fear versus worry. It's a very important one. And it was given to me by a good friend and coach of mine, Dr. Roger Hall. For years, I used to say that fear was the enemy. But frankly, ladies and gentlemen, fear, if it weren't for fear, we wouldn't be here. Fear is present tense productive. Present tense productive. Let's go through a little exercise here. I'd like you to imagine right now that we have put cages above the tables. In any moment now, we're going to drop snakes down right on the table in front of you. <laughs> Can you feel it? You feel a little adrenaline there? Yes. Where's that coming from? It's primordial. It's old school. If a snake fell, like you imagine, a snake falls right in front of you, you're going to do one of three things lightning fast. Now, your mind is going to say, well, I think I would do this. There isn't going to be any thinking. <laughs> you're going to do one of three things lightning fast. Some of you are actually going to grab it around the neck to try to keep it, right? Fight, fight. A number of you are going to flee. I mean, chairs are going to go everywhere. Flight, flight. And a lot of you are just going to go, oh, but don't see me. <laughs> fight, flight, freeze. Without fear, we wouldn't be here. Ladies and gentlemen, what you're dealing with every day is worry. Worry is anticipatory fear. Anticipatory fear. It's being so afraid of snakes, you jump when you see an electrical cord, right? Or, or you, you're afraid to go outside because that's where the snakes live. <laughs> I'd like to share with you my own personal experience with worry. About three years ago, I had the pleasure of hearing a speaker by the name of Matt Walker. His website is Matt Walker Adventure. In fact... I was in Joshua Tree with him yesterday, climbing Joshua Tree yesterday. Drove across the desert last night to be here. This man encouraged me to face my fears. He calls it adventure learning. He says, there are things you're going to learn in adventure you couldn't learn any other way. And so I signed up for this trip. I am not an adrenaline junkie, maybe because of the experience with my dad, trying to build security. This is not in my gene pool to take these kind of risks. Yet on August 6th, last year, I find myself at the base of Mount Baker. I took this photo. This is the first glacier I ever saw, and I was there to climb it. Now, let me share something with you. I've been speaking professionally for over 12 years. I never thought I'd be the guy showing these kinds of pictures. But that's what's exciting about life. For those of you in this room who have lived a long time, here's a formula for you right now. Always make your future bigger than your past. And for those that are younger, you are in rebirth. You are part of the rebirth of this business, this industry from retire to refire. And these experiences will qualify you more than ever to serve others. This is Mount Baker. It's about three hours north of Seattle in the Cascades. 
Mount Baker recorded the highest or the most snowfall in a single season. In 1999, over 91 feet of snow fell on Mount Baker. In fact, I just found out last week, 12 feet of snow fell on Mount Baker. Now, it doesn't get warm enough up there for it to melt, right? So it just piles up, and it's, it's a river, right? It's a frozen river. I spent two nights in that orange tent. This is at 5,000 feet. We had 6,000 feet to go to get to the summit. Can you see the people in the distance? To give you a little perspective, there they are. We stayed there two nights to acclimate. We left out at 4 a.m., took us five years. Five, five years. It felt like five years. <laughs> took us five hours to get to the summit. Now, let's talk about the hardest part of the climb. What do you think was the hardest part of the climb? The two months before. I didn't want to die. <laughs> when I was there, I had fight, flight, freeze. I had all the tools I need to live. But the two months prior, I would be sitting around with friends. I call them financial advisors in southern Ohio. And I would have, be having lunch, and I'd be telling them what I'm training for. And they'd look at me like I'm crazy. What would I start thinking? I think I'm crazy. I could feel the adrenaline rising up. I was scared. But here's something that's interesting. Never before did I love my life more. In those moments, I was so aware of what I would lose, not what was missing. I asked Matt Walker prior to the climb, I said, what are the dangers? And he said, well, there are these things called crevasses. They drop thousands of feet. He said, but we'll have rope. We'll, we'll be tied off a rope. I'm like, what, so we can all go in together? <laughs> oh, and I had a friend, a very helpful friend, two days before the trip said, hey, did you hear there's a heat wave in Seattle? I don't know a lot about glaciers, but I know heat and ice don't go well together. I call him up. I said, are you sure? You know, you know I know we got this schedule and all, but we could postpone it. If you, if you think it's a good idea, we could postpone it. You know what he said to me? He goes, Steve, I don't tell you how to do your job. <laughs> nothing, qualifies you, nothing qualifies you more to be a leader than being led. By the way, there's those crevasses. This is the most dangerous part of the climb. A crevasse on either side of us. Who's ahead of me? Who's leading us? That's Matt Walker. He's climbed every major peak in the world. He's climbed Everest twice. By the way, in the distance, that's the moon. And that's also, that jagged area just below the moon is the edge of the active volcano. <laughs> just to throw that in there too, right? Here. When did it erupt last? What was the eruption thing? You could smell the sulfur, sulfur. you could see the steam. Let's go back to lunch before the trip. The anxiety would rise up in me. Why did I go anyway? Because of that man. I would never be on this glacier with a printout from the internet. I would lean into the fact that this man has summited Mount Baker 56 times. This was his 57th summit. And so the thing that I needed most to get to the top was confidence. But how could I have confidence? I'd never been on a glacier. So I leaned into him. Are we getting to this question? Remember that first question, early question, why do your clients need you? Because without you, they will fail. They will not reach the summit. But let's go back to certainty. If I wanted to be certain of not falling in a crevasse, what could I have done? I could, have stayed, I could have stayed on a couch at home, right? I got news for you. You're not furniture salesmen. Your clients don't need an enabler. They need an advisor. Here are the three tools. Well, let me finish this climb for you. This is the last thousand feet. Halfway up this mountain, I took a photo behind me. 
This is one of the most amazing days of my life, made possible by my guide. And here's the summit. A friend of mine took this photo, made it black and white. Can't, I cannot express fully the experience to you. Coming together with others, there was a team of us working together. It's so true that teamwork makes the dream work. And what good it would be if you're alone? Who would you celebrate it with, right? Here's what your clients, why do your clients need you? Three things, confidence, commitment, and the correct tools. Your clients do not buy your competence. They buy your confidence. Now, if you have confidence without competence, that makes you a confidence man, or better known as a con man. (laughs) Competence is important. It fuels confidence. But it was his... By the way, if Matt Walker ever said to me, I'm pretty sure we can make it. (laughs) I think we should postpone the trip. (laughs) Planners... Here you go, the best year of your life. Planners who plan for the best are the best planners. Planners who plan for the worst are the worst planners. It is not plan for the worst and hope for the best. It is plan for the best and prepare for the worst. Massive distinction between planning for the worst and preparing for it. You're about to take your first cruise across the Atlantic Ocean. You walk up to the captain. You're really excited. You say to the captain, what's the plan? And he says, well, it's a big ocean. We plan to sink. (laughs) I find in this business, everybody, plan A is the lifeboat. Plan B is the ship. Why? Because we lose confidence. We're human too. If we're going to be effective leaders, we have to think differently from the herd. If you read what your clients are reading, if you see what your clients are seeing, hear what your clients are hearing, you will feel what they're feeling. You will do what they're doing. And the sheep don't need sheep. It's incumbent upon you to think differently. And the why question empowers you in my experience, more than any other question to think differently. Commitment. You notice that picture where the crevasses were on either side of us? Now, I said what we had practiced the day before the the climb is something called self-arrest. We had these ice axes. So if you lose, if you start to slide down the mountain, you, you, you bury your axe. I said to Matt, I said, Matt, if I fell in that crevasse, there's no time for you to bury the axe. And he said, I mean, this guy... He just said it so casually. He says, oh, I know. I was prepared to jump in the other crevasse. Are you that kind of leader? Are you that committed? You are captains of ships. The what and how is the ship, but the why is the trip. Can the ship make the trip? And are you qualified as captain to get across the ocean. And if the waves get high and the winds are strong, what direction must you face the ship? Into the wind. With what? Confidence, commitment, and with the correct tools. I know an advisor who has over 900 variable annuities, over 138 million. 100% in equities in 2008, didn't lose a single client. I'll give you a couple lines from him. He says, I have experienced hundreds of retirements. You are experiencing one. Now, for those of you new in the business, you partner. Our team, our team has experienced hundreds of retirements. You're experiencing one. We have sailed across the ocean, metaphorically, back and forth, hundreds of times. This is your first voyage. Do you want to go alone? And always behind the scenes, is this tool going to get the job done? Is it the correct tool? I could not have gotten to the summit with tennis shoes. 
I had to have spikes on my boots, crampons. So I had to have the right tools, the correct tools. Tennis shoes or couch, either way, I'm not getting there without the correct tools. Insight number two, the energy, the brain prefers energy-saving shortcuts. In the interest of time, I'm going to flow through these pretty quickly. The brain is 2% of the body, but when it's consciously thinking, it can burn up to 25% of our fuel. Ladies and gentlemen, it is not efficient to think. This is why most people don't. <laughs> but first and foremost, you are paid to think. Your primary value is to think. They want you to think for them. It's interesting. The brain runs on glucose. You can look back. Look at every appointment you had right after lunch versus appointments you had at 10 a.m., and you'll find far more yeses right after lunch. You know why? Because there's still glucose in the body. What's that saying we hear sometimes we don't like to hear after presenting an idea? Let me what? Think about it. All right. Let me finish that statement. Or actually, let me turn it. This is really what they're saying. They're saying, let me stop thinking about it now. You're wearing me out. I'm out of fuel. Key insight. Just want to give that to you quickly. Here's a quote from Wordsworth. I said it earlier. Habits rule the unreflecting herd. Insight number three, I mentioned the airbag system. Here's the quote that many of us have heard from Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I heard Chris mention this earlier. The airbag system I'm talking about, just like in a vehicle, it explodes in the moment to preserve life. Every human being has an airbag system in their mind, in the oldest part of their mind. It's the amygdala. I invite you all, please check out this article titled The Anatomy of Investor Fear. You could just Google The Anatomy of Investor Fear. I believe this to be one of the most important articles ever penned for financial advisors. But uh, a caveat there, I, I am a little biased. I am the author of this particular article. <laughs> but it's good. No, really, it's good. Check this out. I don't believe in coincidences. My first publication was published on fear in March of 2009. The market is now 300% higher from that publication. Read that article. Check it out. Because in that article, I recommend rope and wax. What was I referring to? Odysseus, Greek mythology. How did Odysseus make it past the sirens? Right? The sirens. What was the beautiful call? Right? Call the sailors off course, hit into the rocks. What did he say? He said, strap me to the mast. Pogo said, here we go, everybody. Pogo said, we've identified the enemy, and the enemy is us. And within your clients, and together, you're better. They need you now more than ever. So in closing... A three-step process for the balance of your life. This developed over time through my own mentors and coaches. RTP, to help remember the acronym, think to reap the possibilities. To reap the possibilities, read, think, and partner. I mentioned it just a moment ago, read differently. How many of you here, by a show of hands, who all here has read War and Peace? Anybody here read War and Peace? What, a few hands, right? Less than 5% or so, right? By the way, you can add me to the list. I've read War and Peace. I've read the first 30 pages. <laughs> now, what did I just do that most people won't do? Ah, see, we're hearing two different types of mindset. Some of you are saying, admit it. Was 30 pages a success or a failure? You all know this quote from the Tao Te Ching, written 2,500 years ago by Lao Tzu. You all know the quote. A journey of 1,000 miles begins with what? First step. I read 30 pages that most Americans will never read. Why? 
because it's a thousand miles. I can't go a thousand miles. I can't finish that book. It's big. It's got a lot of Russian names. If I don't finish it, I'll feel bad about myself. In this new year, take a step. Zig Ziglar said, you can't change your destination overnight, but you can change your direction overnight. Take a step and applaud the step. Let your work be its own reward. That's the way to live an amazing life. And by the way, your life is always now. Let me give you a formula right now. You want to have an amazing year? Make each day amazing. Because tomorrow is promised to no one. Today I will rejoice. And you will be exactly what America needs. You'll be exactly what your clients need. You'll shine bright for them and for yourself. Step two, think differently. You read differently, you'll think differently. Planners who plan for the best are the best planners. And finally, partner. We're really only as capable as the people around you. Did you know you don't have to put a lid on a barrel of crabs? I learned this speaking in the Northeast. As one starts to crawl out, the others pull it down. Look around you. Look, I'm telling you what, we're all here to serve. We are all here to serve as an example of what to do or what not to do. And you know the crabs, the ones that keep repeating all the impossibilities. Get them out of your barrel. Get into that group where you're lifting each other up, challenging each other. I would love to stay in your lives. It would be a privilege to continue to share my journey with you. And this is, one of, this is what I love about the internet. It, no cost at all, just an email. If you join the Y Team Weekly, you will read a publication. I, the company I've been with, a lot of you know I'm with a company by the name of Jackson. When I joined Jackson in January of 1996, our total variable assets were $748,000. We're now writing between 90 and 100 million, 80, 90, 100 million every day with the help of many of you, if not all of you. It has been one of the great privileges of my life to be associated with this organization. And I started writing nine years ago an email to keep us on purpose. You want a formula for great success as a financial advisor? Here it is, people before profits. People before profits. The profits will take care of themselves. I'd be happy to even, give me your business card, I'll be happy to put your email address into the team. Love to continue to be a part of your lives. Hopefully today was a source of encouragement. My mother said, she said, you make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. Thank you so very much for your time. Thanks for listening to Leadership Now, the official podcast of Wealthwave. If you like our show and you want to know more, check out wealthwave.com forward slash podcast, or you can leave us a review on iTunes. Join us each week as we talk about the topics you'll need to help you grow as an entrepreneur and succeed in the financial business with Wealthwave.